This is the Physical Activity Researcher Podcast, a podcast for researchers of sedentary behavior, physical activity, and sports. Join for a relaxed dialogue about research design, practicalities, and, well, anything related to research. Learn from your fellow researchers useful and relevant information that does not fit into formal content and limited space of scientific publications. And here is your host, researcher and entrepreneur, Ollie Tikkanen. Welcome, everyone. We are going to have a very practical and useful episode about running injuries, how to run injury-free and how to overcome running injuries. And we have a brilliant guest. He has master's degree in physiotherapy practice. He is the founder and CEO of the Run Smarter series, and he hosts the awesome Run Smarter podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome our guest, Mr. Prody Sharp. Welcome, Prody. Thanks for having me on, Ollie. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, and I was just about to go to prehab when you when you mentioned it. So this this showing that slow, heavy loads are good for rehab. How would you say should people do prehab? So should they do actually slow, heavy loads to prevent injuries? Yeah. So my, my specialty is working with runners and this is a really nice uh, topic that I like to get involved in because a lot of runners are a little bit apprehensive to start strength training. All they want to do is run because they're like, I'm training for a marathon. All I need to do is run. I need to get really, really good at running in order to perform really well for the marathon. But there's a lot of research out there to show that you can increase your risk of injury because if all you're doing is running, then it's going to increase your likelihood of an overuse injury because you're doing that same thing over and over again. But there's really good evidence to show that strength training and strength and conditioning helps running performance and that helps endurance performance. So it goes against the grain or it goes against the initial thought that why would lifting heavy help me perform at an endurance event? Just doesn't make sense. I should just be doing more endurance-based stuff. But there's some really nice research out there to point towards, yes, you need to strength train twice a week. It'll help shift your loads, but you will get stronger, more resilient, and able to perform at endurance events better. And then, you know, a runner will eventually get convinced, okay, let me start strength training. And then they just do the stuff they're good at, which is the body weight exercises. They do calf raises, squats, lunges, three sets of 30 reps, because that's what they're good at. But again, the research will show that if you compare a group of Uh, marathon runners to do strength training which is just involving body weight compared to a bunch of marathoners that are doing heavy strength work and plyometric exercises they will outperform in that marathon compared to those who do the body weight stuff so very important yeah and how, how would you say like if you think classic strength training for performance usually it's you should do it rather fast because we we are moving fast whether it's running or different sports and then for the tendons we actually want slow and heavy uh, so how how would you recommend training for performance versus prehab for performance you want to train twice a week and as you get stronger so you might need to start with body weight if you've never done strength training in the past you'll probably need to start with body weight because, again, we don't want an abrupt change that your body's been like, that's too much, let me get injured. But 
if you start body weight and have the progressions to slowly build up your strength, most of it would be slow, heavy, controlled stuff. It would be squats, lunges, deadlifts, calf raises that are um, heavy enough that around about eight to 10 reps is really challenging. And so a lot of people do 10 reps, have a rest, but it doesn't really challenge them. By the, by the ninth rep, it should be really, really tough. By the 10th rep, it's probably close to your max. You probably could push out 11 or 12 if you really tried, but you stop short of 10 and then you do three or four sets of that. That's the, um, the bulk of your intensity for your strength training. But then if everything's going really well, you can then supplement some plyometric stuff on top of that. Maybe 10% of your strength training can be plyometric stuff. And that's a pretty nice icing on the cake for performance. And um, usually for, I I guess it, it is for performance, but it's also for prehab as well. It's also for, if you operate within those dosages, you are reducing your risk of injury in the future. You are becoming a little bit more resilient as a runner and receiving the performance benefits at the same time. So I believe the prehab and the strength and strength and conditioning for performance can be like the same thing. And and you said that maybe you start in the beginning with the body weight and you progress. How about in the in the other end where a person is doing quite heavy strength training and if you want super strong tendons that can can take anything how how would you do? Would you go to eccentric ones, just like for example, few repetitions, really heavy, like maybe super maximal loads? What what would you think? How do the tendons respond if you can take the load? I think if you're doing really well and you're kind of at that high end, very experienced uh, with your strength training, but also you do want to run and you do want to perform as a runner. You can then probably supplement or you can be a little bit creative with how you load things. Like you can have a strong concentric phase and a slow eccentric phase for your certain things. So maybe once every two weeks, instead of just your normal deadlifts, you can then supplement really slow eccentric deadlifts with a really fast concentric phase. So you're going down really slowly and then coming up in that, in a, like a really fast um, movement. So then you're sort of training or triggering your tendons to adapt a certainly a certain different way. Um, just keeping the body guessing with some more difficult plyometric style exercises that would just create a lot more strength for your tendons. But then you can just also, if you didn't want to be that creative, just be progressive, just be progressive with your slow, heavy stuff. doesn't need to be complicated. I usually say that with strength training, and people ask what, what's like the secret source of strength training. It can be super simple if you want it to be, but it can also be really complicated if you want it to be. And so the simple one, which I've said before, I'll say it again, is just squats, lunges, calf raises, deadlifts, you know, hover around the three sets of eight to 10 and progress the weights as the body adapts and gets stronger. And as you can tolerate heavier weight, that's all you need to do if you wanted to prehab your stuff if you want to increase your running performance and you want to just be a little bit more resilient as a runner. So quite classic bodybuilder style strength training in a way, like three, three well, sets I, of about 10. I think yeah. if we're doing, say, strength training twice a week, I think a bodybuilder would be a lot more frequent than twice a week. Yeah, yeah, um, of course, yeah. The 
But yeah, it can just be is that I I also think say power lifters, they operate with lower reps. They'll do like a every now and then test their one rep max or three or four rep max, those sort of things. Because a lot of fear that runners have is they fear that they're going to become a big bulky athlete that's going to diminish their running performance because they look at bodybuilders or they look at power lifters and say, that's not a runner like that. Look how heavy they are. Look how inflexible they are. Look how much muscle mass they have. I want to be lean because lean is performance when it comes to running, which is true. But if you are strength training twice a week, but then running four, five, six times a week, it definitely, it's going to be so hard for you to put on muscle mass, but also the, the diet side of things as well. Like if someone wants to put on muscle mass, they're eating enormous quantities which a runner wouldn't do because their goal isn't to put on muscle mass. And so my advice for those people is that as long as you do your cardio as the bulk of your training throughout the week and you eat the same volumes or um, you just don't train with the same qualities that a powerlifter would, it's going to be very, very hard for you to put on muscle mass. You might put on a couple of pounds here and there, which is probably going to be advantageous for your performance, but you definitely wouldn't get that big bulky body. It's just, it's impossible. It would defy physics. Yeah. Yeah. I fully agree. And about the strength training exercises, it's quite easy to figure out what to do for the knee and hip joints. But how would you say for the foot, for example, to prevent plantar fasciitis, how, what kind of exercises you would recommend? I think it's a little bit more tricky how to, how to load it. Um, there is some good research, but just low sample sizes of doing calf raises with, um, the toes in extension. So you do either double leg or single leg calf raises with say a towel or a foam padding underneath all the toes. So the toes are actually a little bit more pointing up towards the roof. And then you're coming up into a calf raise and that will load up the fascia more so than if the, the toes were just flat on the ground. Um, so doing that can kind of bias the, the fascia, but then you just want to increase the strength and function of the foot, which can be as simple as getting better at barefoot walking, getting better at, um, being in the gym and having either minimalist footwear or no footwear at all. So if you do lunges, squats, calf raises without shoes on, and you work within your adaptation zone and progress from there then your foot is naturally getting stronger. Your foot is naturally um, increasing its level of function and would then help that plantar fasciitis move along in terms of its pathology will help progress that. But, you know, sometimes it's finding a starting point because sometimes someone might do some squats in bare feet and then all of a sudden their fascia's flared up and it's like, okay, that was way too much. Let's try and find a new starting point for you. So everyone fits on it. Their starting point is on a different spectrum and it's finding that starting point can be quite tricky but eventually that end goal if you're talking about what can we do what are specific exercises it can just be just performing with more minimalist footwear and just having your foot be capable of doing it all without the support um, that can be very good for both strength and function and and i think many of our listeners of this podcast are passionate runners and i'm pretty sure each one of them is getting one year older every year and and maybe maybe a little bit older older age even though i don't have the statistics what would be your 
recommendations or notes for aging runners how to take take advancing age into account with your training my first tip is accept that age is a quality like a lot of people like say a lot of people runners in their 50s they try and train like they were in their 30s they're like i want to get back to that it's you're just defying physics it's inevitable that your body will as it ages um diminish in say vo2 max um it it would just your runs will then feel tougher it's just natural progression however um there's some really nice studies to show that the more active you are the slower that decline of fitness so you do diminish your vo2 max and you do diminish these other aerobic qualities but it's at a slower degree the more active you are compared to those who um are maybe a little bit more inactive as the decades go on so my advice is don't defy physics and try and train like you were in your 30s because then it's just going to continue you'll continue overloading your body and develop an injury and just have this boom bust cycle and make sure that you uh, prioritize recovery as well. We know that as you get older, it takes longer for you to bounce back from a session. So if you do a hard exercise session in your 30s, you might take you know a day or so to recover and then you're good to go again. Whereas in your 50s, you might take two days. It just might take a little bit longer. That's just the natural progression. Um, some other practical takeaways would be to strength, strength train, definitely strength train because we know that the tendons lose their stiffness, they lose their quality to produce force and that is preserved more if you do strength training. So you're more likely to um, just have greater capacities of your muscles and your tendons to perform but also to reduce your risk of injury. Um, particularly the calves, particularly if you're in your 40s and 50s, particularly if you're male, um, strengthen your calves, strengthen your Achilles. That's one of the uh, the muscles that gets atrophied the most and they people lose their speed and they turn into more of a shuffle. Their, in, their cadence stays the same or increases, but their, their step um, length reduces, so they turn into a bit more of a shuffle. And a lot of the time is because they don't strengthen their calves enough and that just diminishes, um, which is another tip as well when it comes to if you are advancing into your 40s and 50s is you can still do interval training you just need to be more careful with how you do it. And it's encouraged that you do strength. Uh, it's encouraged that you do these short interval stuff, maybe hill sprints, maybe just shorter efforts of 200 meters, 400 meters, or like 500, a K. Okay, just start training with higher intensities so that you are triggering your body to adapt to those intensities. It's very hard for people in their, their 50s. Well, it's very natural for a runner in their 50s just to slowly start to back off the intensity and then all of a sudden all you're doing is this really low intensity stuff and you become more vulnerable to overuse injuries because you're not triggering that um, upper intensity sort of stuff and you do turn into more of a shuffled run because you're not introducing that those higher intervals regularly so make sure it's a part make sure it's in there make sure your strength train prioritize the calf strength um, just mix up the intensities here and there and just trying to not defy the nature of aging. Respect the recovery process. Respect that you will slowly decline your VO2 max and you can't train like you did 20 years ago. Um, and, yeah, you, you'll be able to thrive a little bit better, I'd say.
For most sedentary behavior and physical activity researchers, collecting the research data is one of the most frustrating steps of a project, especially as inefficient data collection steals too much of your precious time, causes unnecessary stress and hassle, and can easily derail progress of your project. This is why we devised a revolutionary new way to collect data, introducing Fibian's Sense Motion, the beginning of a new era. Fibian's Sense Motion is a cutting-edge, next-generation system that allows you to easily and remotely collect, store, and manage data. Our solution features a tiny, waterproof device that captures the sedentary behavior and physical activity data, a mobile app for automatic uploading of the data from the device, and a cloud service for managing the data. Even better, all collected data is GDPR compliant, and you have access to automatically analyzed variables of activity types and raw 3-axis accelerometer data. Don't compromise on the quality of your research or the project timeframes. Discover the convenience and power behind our solution at sense.fibian.com. That is s-e-n-s.fibian.com. Fibian, created by researchers for researchers. Yeah, great, great points. And and I think this has been really good kind of condensed information. If we go a little bit, you have a lot of great resources on your on your website and on your, your podcast. And you for example have a free ebook, The Universal Principles to Overcome Any Any Running Injury. Could you tell a little bit about the book and where people can can find this one? Sure. Uh so my idea with starting the podcast was to start with these universal principles. And so that turned into the first 10 episodes of my podcast. So episode one to 10 covers the 10 universal principles to overcome injury. And I made a, an ebook alongside that. So it was, um, if you just like listening to podcasts, you can just go and listen to that. But if you want a little bit more detail, if you want to see um, a lot of the graphs and things that I include in that um, I have a Run Smarter app. You can just type in uh, Run Smarter and that app will pop up. And in the more section, it will say um, the ebook. It's totally free. So you can just sign up and uh, get access to that ebook. So 10 universal principles that I believe that all runners need to know to reduce their risk of injury significantly and overcome a current injury that they're, um, they're struggling with. And so those 10 universal principles as an ebook or as in a kind of podcast format, whatever uh, they so desire. Mm. Yeah, I, I skimmed through the book, and I think it's it's very good with the, with the crafts and and I've been working with the sports scientist a, a long time. I have met a lot of lot of them, and I think even most of them don't always understand their injuries, like even this kind of basic ebook. So if you're a sports scientist. It might be useful to check the book <laughs> because usually sports scientists are more about performance and not about injury prevention. So I really encourage you don't even need to provide email. You can just click on the website and, and download it. And could you tell what was the website? So my re website is runsmarter.online and it has my podcast episodes, my blogs, um, a few bit of research papers here and there. And if yeah, people want to learn more, they can go there. That's, that's really good. 
and and you you have worked with a lot of a lot of runners so you you really know what you think if if people are struggling with an injury and would like to consult you how does it work uh one of the easiest ways i made this super simple is to go to the website and on the website there's a button to say um click here for a free 20 minute injury chat and so a lot of my podcast listeners are heading on there i'm jumping on maybe two or three injury chats a day um just having a free injury chat just to either break up or try and uncover what's contributing to this injury or some tips that you can do to overcome the injury. But I'm also an online physio that works with runners and we can also discuss if you wanted to start working together, exactly what that looks like. And so most people just start working with me through the injury chat and whether they want to just take away some tidbits and knowledge within that chat, that's fine. But if they also want to work together, I'd explain exactly how that works because online working together um, might be a little bit confusing for some and my process is a little bit different than perhaps other online physios. And so I like to break it down on that call as well. Mm. And and how how many how many consultations you have per day, this 20, 20 minutes thing, how full is your day? At the moment, I'm hovering around three or four injury chats per day. And, you know, my running my caseload with the current runners I'm working with is hovering around 30 or 35 runners um, as we speak, which um, are on different package durations that some, some are working with for a week, some a month, some six months. And so, um, yeah, I keep busy. <laughs> mm. And and maybe there's some some physios or other professionals listening to this. I think you have made pretty nice way of marketing your knowledge and pretty nice funnel of people finding you and and becoming your customers so could you tell a little bit of this this story before we finish uh, after graduating how did you how did you build this nice podcast and these these materials and what has been the experience and maybe takeaways from it i think one of the major things that i did was just follow my passion and trying to gravitate towards what gives me energy rather than depletes my energy. And I spent a long time working in private practice uh, just as an employee, spent a long time liking certain clientele, not enjoying other clientele. There were definitely some um, people that I had to treat which depleted my energy, but then the runners that I would see, because I'd be so passionate about running, they would um, generate my energy and I I could see runners all day with zero burnout. And so recognize that... This is what I love doing. I love teaching. I love um, learning about running. I love assessing runners, treating runners, getting them back to pain-free stuff. Um, I love recognizing that there's a gap between like so many misconceptions and there's a gap between what runners should know and what they do know and just self-reflection, just, you know, um, seeking out what re- what I really love doing and what the world needs and then just following that. And so that's carried me over into starting my own clinic, the Run Smarter Physio Clinic, starting the podcast, the Run Smarter Podcast, and just building up from that. And so the the passion comes across, the the people, the feedback that I get is, you know, you just have so much energy all day. And that's just because I've chose the the group of people to work with that just um generate my energy rather than deplete my energy. Yeah, I I think it's really nice that you kind of find your what you like and create your own niche, and then you can meet only those customers and do 
do all the material related to that. Uh, could you could you tell a little bit about how how was the process of of starting a podcast? How was the learning process? I think many of the professionals are thinking, but yeah, that's Brody. He's he's great doing that. I'm not like that. What would be your encouraging words for people thinking that they cannot do the same as you do? Yeah, for, I, I think for the first five years of my physio career, I thought to myself, you know, I'm not cut out to be a leader or a speaker or um, educate people. I just, I'm not that eloquent with how I speak. I'm not that knowledgeable with what I know. And there was a lot of doubts, but you start somewhere. Like I didn't actually start with the Run Smarter podcast. I started with this um, with this podcast a few years prior called The Everyday Running Legends, where I would just interview everyday runners. I wouldn't even position myself as a physio. I'd just be the interviewer, just asking um, runners about really interesting uh, stories that they had and just trying to spark motivation in other listeners. And so it just started from there. Like starting a podcast is, it can be really easy, but there's a, there can be a lot of steps if you need it to be. Um, like, you know, choosing the right microphone or what questions to ask or um, editing your own software or what platform should you use. All these sort of things can be quite complicated, but once you learn it, the um, I think the barrier to entry is more psychological than anything. I know a lot of people have a lot of self-doubt about doing it, but you just take a small little step. Maybe there's a bit of fear involved, but you just take that step. And then all of a sudden it's really easy. Like going from that first podcast to starting my second podcast was the easiest transition in the world because I've already had all of that knowledge backed up. That that steep learning curve at the start was just like minimal um, making that transition to the second podcast. And it was only because I started and that momentum just carried. And then just sort of self-reflecting, how do I get better? How did that interview go? How should I improve? Um, what information do I think carried across really well? How should I phrase it a little bit differently next time? It's all those self-reflection type of things that just carry over and I'm still learning today I claim I don't know everything um, I claim that I am very passionate about it and I'm willing to change my opinions on a lot of things as I learn more and that's another thing that's carried over like from episode one to now episode 210 I've learned so much because I've interviewed so many people I've interviewed so many health professionals and researchers and running coaches that I've changed and morphed my opinion on certain things and built up a lot of um, examples, a lot of like just concepts that resonate really well. Um, one of the feedbacks that I get is from runners is like you explain things really well, but really simply, and I kind of get it and I resonate with it really easily. And that's just taken a lot of self-reflection on my behalf to deliver that eventually. Yeah, I, I really like your points. And and like you said, that you thought first that you're not the one to be expert, you're not the one to teach but basically I think as an encouragement for other people also that you don't need to be it now. You can decide that you will be that after 100 episodes when you have done 100 expert interviews and asked everything you don't know. So it can be a goal in the future that you decide that then I will know this and you find your small niche. You can, for example, if as a physio, you can specialize to some, just one joint, one one problem and there's so many people in the world as you can now do it with online online things so i would i would really en- encourage i think it's the modern tech technologies are, are so great but yeah we have talked now one hour so i think it's time to wrap up do you have any any final remarks what would you like to say before we finish uh yeah thanks i think 
if anyone wants to learn more, I think they can just start with going to the Run Smarter podcast. They can start with those 10 episodes, those 10 universal principles to reduce your risk of injury. And usually if you want to learn more, it just flows on from there. Like you can listen to more episodes. You can then get the app. You can then join the Facebook group. But I think it all just starts off with just listening to the podcast and investing in your own knowledge, even for health professionals that are listening to this episode. I interview a ton of other researchers and podiatrists and chiros and physios that um, have changed the way I think about running. And so uh, a fair few of my listeners are health professionals because they've they've taken away a lot of those interviews really well. And even some of the concepts and solo episodes I do trying to communicate to runners, health professionals have found it really beneficial as well. So um, the podcast would be a good one to start with. Perfect. It was really nice chatting with you and really valuable information. Thanks, Prodi, for taking the time for this podcast. Thanks for having me on. had a lot of fun. Thanks for joining us this week on Physical Activity Researcher Podcast. If you like the show, make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing or following the show on Twitter. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. If you found value in the show, we would really appreciate a rating on Apple Podcast or whichever app you're using. Or if you would, in a real old school way, simply tell a friend about the show. It would be a great help for us. We have a fantastic lineup of guests for forthcoming episodes, so be sure to tune in. Thank you all for your support and have a great day.